Well, good morning to each of you. It truly is a blessing to be here studying God's Word to show ourselves approved. Trust that you will be encouraged as we look into God's Word together. Between 1945 and 1949, in the city of Nuremberg, Germany, there was a series of trials that were conducted. This was just after World War II, and they were wrapping things up, and and, uh, the the Allied powers were thinking of a way to to bring to justice um, the, the leaders of Nazi Germany and all the atrocities that that went with that. As the war was coming to an end, it became more and more apparent what all was going on and just the unspeakable horrors of the Holocaust. So as the war came to an end, they they organized these trials. They're known as the Nuremberg Trials. And bringing to justice um, the, the things that happened. And if you talk to Nazi people who were lower in rank, their defense was that they were just following orders. This is what I was told to do, so I did it. What about the men at the top? What about the top Nazi leaders? What did they have to say for themselves? What was their defense? And I don't want to simplify too much, but basically they argue by saying, who are you to judge us? You're bringing a different standard in from another country. And we were just following the standards of, of our country. This is, this is what we saw as good. And as we, we look at how they defended themselves, it's sobering reality of what the results can be if we are left to ourselves to define good and evil. <laughs> brings to mind the verse from Isaiah 5, uh, verse 20. He says, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put light for darkness and darkness for light. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. So this morning, I want to think about the question, what is good? How do we define what is good? And when I hear the defense of those Nazi leaders. I can't help but think of this verse, woe to those who call evil good. That's exactly what they were doing. How did they get to that point? How can somebody get that mixed up that they can't see the wrong of what they're doing? Thinking specifically of of what happened there. Couldn't they see? And in the wake of World War II, there's a phrase that was uh, used by politicians different times, never again. And just the idea that this should never happen again. And international laws were, were developed and different organizations brought together to make sure this never happens again. But how do we ensure that doesn't happen? Because if somebody sees something as being good, what's to, to stop that same thing from happening again? It goes to show that sometimes our moral compass gets mixed up. We're familiar with what a compass is. A compass is an instrument to show where north is. It has a little needle, uses magnetism 
and it always points to, to the north. And people who are uh, traveling, sailors, explorers, people who need to know where they're at, they use a compass to, to help guide them. Sometimes we lose our bearings. And you know, we have uh, a moral compass as, as humans that's built in. We have this sense of right and wrong. And we know when things aren't fair for us. And uh, it's, it's something innate in each one of us that we, we know we have this sense of right and wrong. Um, but the problem is that sometimes we can get really mixed up and sometimes the results are, are really bad, such as the Holocaust. Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So when it comes down to it, how do we know? How do we determine what is good? And the Bible has a lot to say about this. As I was thinking about this question, what is good? Um, I realize that it's, it's a very strong theme in the Bible. And I'm sure we would all agree with that. It's, it's a thread that when you start pulling, you can see it's woven throughout the entire Bible. And I was looking up references that refer to doing what is good. And I was actually surprised how many there are. And I'll just read a couple of them here, um, mostly from the New Testament. First um, Thessalonians 5.21, Hold fast that which is good. Romans 12, 9, cleave to that which is good. 3 John 11, beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Romans 16, 9, I would have you wise towards that which is good. And we even had one in our devotional time this morning from Galatians, um, doing what is good. But along with this call to pursue what is good, should come the question, what is good? How do we know what to pursue? And what if we're pursuing something that isn't actually good? That's a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament of people trying to figure this out. What is good? And we see examples of where they trust in their own wisdom and uh, their own judgment of what they should do. And they end up finding out that they're not actually good judges of what is good. So as we think about this question of what is good, I want to look first of all at some examples in the Old Testament. See how this theme plays out in the Bible through the Old Testament of our shortcomings, how different people have, have dealt with that. And then I want to bring it back to us today and try to answer this question for us as we think about what is good? What are we to pursue? the clear call to, to pursue what is good. So I want to start uh, in the beginning from Genesis. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, I'll read the first seven verses of Genesis 3, the story of the fall. And this, this is a foundational story. And there's, there's depth to this story. There's so much that, that even I don't fully understand what all is going on in here, how this is setting up the, the scene for the whole Bible. The first two chapters of Genesis, we see God creating the world, and, and it was good. It was very good. He looked at what he made, and it was good. And then Genesis chapter 3, we read something that's not good. I'll read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, 
Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. So the story of the fall, God created a good, um, good world, placed Adam and Eve in a garden, told them to dress and to keep it, take care of the garden, one rule, and we see it given in chapter 2, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we read that sometime after, I don't know how long it was, but there's a temptation, the serpent comes in and tempts Eve to disobey that, that one command. And he says, God is keeping something from you. You are going to be like God if, if you partake of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verse 6, the woman saw that it was good. It looked good. It was desirable. And she probably had in the back of her mind that this was going to make her like God. This is a tree to make one wise. Knowledge of good and evil. Yes, I, I want that. And she took um, against God's command. And like I said, this, this story has more meaning and more depth than, than I can understand, but it's the beginning of a pattern that, that plays out <clears throat> excuse me, over and over again throughout the Old Testament. We aren't really good judges of what is good, and we have not become like God. So I want to look at some other examples, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on uh, these examples. I'll just bring them up as, as uh, connecting together with this theme. And I think it's fascinating to look at how the stories of the Old Testament point to, to this theme. And uh, let's pull out a couple stories here. Abraham and Lot. We know the story of when there was not enough of land and they had to split up. And Abraham said, Lot, you can choose. And it says, Lot looked around and he saw the, the land toward Sodom. It was good. Nice, nice pastures, well watered. And he chose what looked good. And we can see the, the consequences of, of what happened from that decision. We see the story of Achan. After Jericho fell, there were spoils among the, the ruins that he saw, he coveted. He saw these good, good things that he wanted for himself, and even though they were told not to, he, he took. We look at Israel. When they wanted a king, they wanted to be like the other nations. They saw that as something that they wanted and ended up with Saul as, as their king. And we see how that ended up for the nation of Israel. The book of Judges, you look through 
the book of Judges, and there's a phrase that's mentioned a couple times, people did what was right in their own eyes. And especially at the, the end of the, the book of Judges, you can see the depths of uh, depravity that, that they went into related to that, doing what is right in their own eyes. And we see the inversion of that as well. What God sees as good, we sometimes want to run away from. When the Israelites were ready to enter the promised land, they sent out spies. And uh, the spies brought back a, a poor report. God had said, enter the land. And they said, no, it's, it's going to be certain death if we go in there. They wanted to go back to Egypt. We see the consequences of, of that. And God told Jonah to give his message to Nineveh. And Jonah headed the opposite direction. He did not want to do that. When Samuel was choosing David as king, he was all ready to choose his older brother because he looked good. And Samuel thought, surely this is the one. But God says, no, you're looking at the outside. I'm, I'm looking at the heart. And there's also stories of people obeying God even when it seems like certain death. The story of Abraham offering his son Isaac. He went in obedience. Not knowing, he obeyed. Or the story of Gideon when he cut down his army. He had an army of several thousand. God told him, no, cut it down, down, down. Or Jehoshaphat, when he was told to put the singers in front of his army. What kind of strategy is that? But he obeyed. He trusted God. And this is a theme. You could keep looking at different stories, and I think it's interesting and fun to look for this theme throughout the Old Testament and the stories that it gives us, how it uh, portrays this theme, how our definition of what's good and God's definition differ and how different people interacted with that. But I want to think about us today. How can we wrestle with this question? I'm sure we all have the, <clears throat> the desire to do what is good, but how do we know? How do we make sure that our moral compass is oriented in the right way? And the simple answer is God's word. And I'm not going to give you just a list of everything that is good, and all we have to do is, is make sure we're covering the things on the list, and, and then we're good. I don't think the Bible does that, but rather it gives us principles and values that we take and we apply to life and the decisions that we make. That if we go through life, we're, we're constantly making decisions. We encounter different things that, that uh, we need to make a decision on. What do we do? How do we choose what is good? And we make those decisions based on the values and principles that, that are in our hearts. So it's important that our values align with what the Bible teaches. And I think that's part of the Christian life, this process of sanctification and making sure our desires are aligned with God's desires. And like I said in our Sunday school lesson, having his law written on our hearts. And uh, that's, um, I think, the, how we can uh, pursue what is good, having God's law, God's desires as ours. <clears throat> so I have three points I want to think about 
uh, for us today, discerning what is good. And first of all is, is to recognize. And there's two things uh, I thought about in, in recognizing. First of all, recognize that we as humans are prone to taking our way over God's way. And we see this picture given throughout the Old Testament. And we, just, we continue to see it today. That's, that's our tendency. We trust in our own wisdom. I'd like to read from Psalm 53, two verses from Psalm 53, a, a description of God looking down from heaven and what he sees. David writes in Psalm 53, verse 2, God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy, and there is none that doeth good. No, not one. This is a sad description of the state of humanity, a picture given of God looking down. Is there anybody who does good? No, nobody. We've all gone our own way, become filthy. And this is a verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3. And uh, as he is laying out the plan of salvation, and, and really this is the first step of salvation, is to recognize that I can't do what is good on my own. If I rely on my sense of what's good, I, I fall short. And just like everybody else before us, we, we have missed the mark. And that's what sin means, missing the mark. God has a, an ideal, like a bullseye. And, and uh, if we fall short of that, if we miss the mark, that's sin. Falling short. And it takes a certain amount of humility to realize that. <clears throat> to realize that my sense of what is good falls short of what God wants. We don't like to think of it that way, but that's the truth. And the second thing uh, to recognize is that our perception of what is good is so easily influenced by the world that we live in. And I want to look at Romans 12, familiar verse, uh, Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we see that the good will, the good and perfect will of God is, is contrasted with being conformed to the world. And just thinking about the, the power of our society to affect the way that we think. It's through the transformation and renewing of our minds that we're able to, to prove or understand what God's good will is. And you know, to be conformed to the world, you don't have to do much. You just have to go along with the flow and it'll happen. The world's values rub off on us and uh, it's, it's like the water that we swim in. But if we want to know what God's will is and to know what, uh, what good is, it takes a renewing of our mind, a transformation. 
and uh, a thinking differently. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting to see how some Christians respond when uh, the public opinion of, of society uh, shifts, thinking uh, of, of traditional values. And for example, I've heard people talk about divorce. And uh, divorce used to be very uncommon in America. And there was a certain stigma attached to it. And it was easy to, to preach against divorce because the cultural opinion was, was that way. But as the shift changed, as the culture changed, whereas now, nowadays, divorce is commonplace and it's, it's no big deal, it's ha it happens. That's the general mentality. And there are some Christians who feel this shift in, in uh, public opinion and uh, the general society where they're at and they try to make things fit. And you know what, well, maybe this could actually work. And they, they uh, don't like to, to preach something uncomfortable. It's the same with homosexuality. We see that as well. And uh, maybe a little bit closer to home, uh, teachings on money and materialism. Living the American dream, we need to be careful that we are not conformed to the world, to popular opinion, because it is such a, a big influence. It's so easy to be influenced by the world that we live in. So recognize. Second point is to trust. And when it comes down to it, it's a matter of who we trust. Who do we give ultimate authority? And I'd like to read from Proverbs chapter 3. Again, very familiar verses. We probably had them memorized uh, years ago. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And verse 7 as well. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. How hard is it to not lean on your own understanding? Our sense of what we need to do, what is good. And this can only happen if we value and trust what God says over what we think. That's, that's ultimate authority uh, that, that we give to God's word. So if we want to keep our moral compass oriented correctly, we need to trust God. One of the safety issues that pilots need to watch out for is disorientation. And this is when they lose awareness of which direction or which angle they're, they're headed. And it can come through uh, flying at night, flying through thick clouds maybe, or fog. They lose sight of, of reference points and they get confused and uh, they can end up bringing a plane down because your sense of what is right, what is up, can be all thrown off kilter if you can't see. And I never experienced that, but uh, I've, I've heard it happen. The pilot's senses are telling him one thing, but his instruments are telling him another thing. And that pilot in that situation needs to trust his instruments, even if it's against his own sense of direction, in order to keep the plane in the air. 
And for the pilot, that often means the difference between life and death. And you hear stories about people driving or flying through uh, thick fog, clouds, and they become disoriented and they crash. How true is that for us when we think about morality and what we call good? Are we trusting our compass, our guide? <clears throat> you know, the world changes. The ideas and the fashions, what's fashionable today, will change. Sometimes we can be in a, a fog, not knowing how we should think. But, you know, we still have a reference point. We have a compass that we can turn to and trust, um, even if it might point away from how we're feeling. Sometimes that happens. So our reference point is the Bible, and I think specifically the teachings of Jesus. So we look to the Sermon on the Mount, things that Jesus taught. We find some difficult teachings that we don't always understand. Teachings about forgiveness and about wealth and generosity, loving your enemies, about suffering. Are we able to trust God when we encounter questions and we see God's word, the teaching of Jesus pointing one direction? Are we able to trust? And I think this is the approach that James has when he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. The source of wisdom comes from God. It doesn't come from ourselves. We look to God for wisdom. And we need to trust that God knows what is good. <clears throat> and lastly is obeying. And really, trusting and obeying go together. You can't have one without the other. It's like faith and works. They, they, they work together. And it seems obvious and, and simple. You know, just, just obey. But when we are faced with a decision that calls us to do something counterintuitive or, or opposite from how we feel, it can be really hard to follow through. It's like that airplane flying. You know, most times we're probably flying in, in nice weather, the pilot is. He can see the horizon and his senses are all oriented the right way. Uh, but every now and then you fly into that fog and something happens in life for us that just throws everything off. And we might feel like we're upside down and we see what God asks of us. And we think, how, how can that be true? You know, we look at our compass. How can that be true? Surely that's not true. That's not what I'm feeling. I can't do that. And this is when it makes all the difference. Can we follow through with obedience? We might feel the same way that, say, Gideon felt when God was telling him to, to cut down his army. Counterintuitive. I can't do that. It's like Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who follow through with action, those who obey. Those who hear and obey are like that wise man. He's building on the rock. And that's what's really going to weather the storm. That's what's going to last. 
we're able to obey. Trust and obey. So as we think about what is good, what are we to pursue? In summary, let God define it. Let's not be wise in our own eyes. And we can see from the example of history what can happen when we define good on our terms. And sometimes it, it's very difficult to reconcile the way that we feel with what God says is good. So we can learn from the examples of men and women in the Bible who had to grapple with that same question. Can I trust God and God's wisdom with this decision, or am I going to follow my own wisdom? There are examples given for us to learn from, like Paul says. So let's be faithful. First of all, in recognizing our shortcomings, our inability to determine what is good, because we need to understand that if we're going to be able to trust God, and also recognize the power that, that our culture has in influencing how we think. We want to be renewed in our mind and thinking the way God thinks. <clears throat> and also to follow through with trusting and obeying. Do we trust God? Do we trust that his word is reliable and true, a, an instrument that will guide us in the right direction? That's our, our compass, our reference point that will keep us on track. I'm going to close with reading another familiar verse from Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord does require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Trust we are able to do that, to, to uh, follow through with what God has said is good. Why don't we stand for a closing word of prayer, and after that, Lee, if you'd have a closing song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the wisdom that you've given to us as we think about what is good and how we define that, what we pursue. I pray that you would guide our thoughts, help us to be renewed in our minds, to trust in your word. We know it's difficult at times to not lean on our understanding, but we ask you for, for guidance and for your help to, to do that. As we go about our week here, I pray for your blessing on each one here, that we could serve you and that we could pursue that which is good, as you have called us to. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.